out of the uh, pews in front of you. It is a, um, it's a card that looks like this. And uh, please take a moment and fill that out. If you are a guest here with us, this will help us to get in touch with you. And uh, if you are a regular attender, we invite you to fill it out as well uh, because this is an opportunity to request some information or leave us a prayer request or a praise report. We'd love to just stay in touch with um, what's going on in your life. And if you are a guest here with us, we also encourage you to uh, go to the Connection Central booth in the foyer after the service and pick up some information about the church and maybe uh, get a, a mug, a gift, and uh, that, you would, that we could be able to welcome you and an- answer any questions that you would have. In, t- in way of announcements, just a couple this morning that I want to highlight. First of all, Pastor Rick and, the, and uh, several men, are uh, a whole group of men are away at a men's retreat this weekend. And so uh, if it seems that we're missing a few men this morning, that's the reason. Uh, but uh, they are up in Big Bear, and so we continue to lift them up to you and uh, lift them up to God in prayer and uh, pray. And I haven't heard from them, so I assume everything is okay and they're doing well. Uh, but they always have a good time. Next Sunday is Fun Fest. And uh, so Fun Fest is a great time for us to have a little bit out of the ordinary service. It's very casual. In fact, uh, uh, we encourage you to come and shorts and tennis shoes or however you feel comfortable and uh, afterwards there will be uh, out in the lawn out here there's all kinds of stuff for the kids and for the youth and then we've got everything for people of every age group but we what we do it this way because it is hopefully an opportunity where you could invite someone to church who maybe doesn't always uh wouldn't maybe feel comfortable on another Sunday. It's just kind of a good excuse to say, hey, our, our church has a special uh, service this week and we'd love for you to come and to be with us and we have lunch together and, and games for the kids and, and that kind of thing. Because really it's an opportunity for us to share about the love of Jesus. And so Chelsea and I, we've talked about it. There's a couple families, uh, neighbors that we're going to invite. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. It's a great uh, time for us to introduce people to things, spiritual things. There is still some help that is needed for Fun Fest. If you are willing to man some of the games or help out, if you could talk to Stephanie Romero. So Stephanie, raise your hand. That's Stephanie. She's in charge of all of these things. And, uh, and, and we need some people to help out along those lines. And we also are actually need a couple of those easy ups. As hot as it's been, it's good to have shade. If you have an easy up, you could bring that day. Let Stephanie know, and uh, we could use that as well. Two weeks from today, the following Sunday, Pastor Stephen Yu will be here to preach, and I want to encourage you guys to, um, to come and to, to hear Pastor Steve. Uh, he is being considered for a community pastor at our church, and he, so he'll be here, and an opportunity for you to hear him and to Uh, introduce yourself to him and then the following week we'll have a special congregational meeting to answer any questions and then to uh, vote on whether or not to receive pastor steve as community pastor so keep that in mind obviously very important decisions for us in in the life of our church so we really want you to uh, seek to be in attendance during those those times and also to keep that in your prayers 
We are in the middle of a series, second Sunday of a series called Not a Fan. And there is kind of that sports analogy there, right? Not a fan, but an actually a participant, a be getting in the game, being a follower of Jesus. Uh, a week ago, there was, uh, you know, you watch these sporting events, football games and stuff, just for the fun of it. But there was actually a story that took place that I kind of wanted to share with you that um, kind of got emotional watching it. This is a, a guy by the name of Jake Olson. And Jake Olson was um, brought into the foot. He's a, he's a player on the USC team. And he was brought into the game at the end of the game uh, a week ago during, uh, when they played Western Michigan. And uh, they had an interview afterwards. You'll get a gist of his story as we play this interview. Well, what a special moment it was here on the field at USC. Jake Olson, the blind snapper for USC, actually got out on the field to uh, do his thing, and he did it. Team uh, was able to convert that. And, of course, Wyatt Smith, his holder, was involved with all of this. But first to you, as an individual who's been blind since 12, you played football in high school right here in Southern California. What did it mean to come out here on the field for an actual live snap in a game? Well, I'll tell you one thing, God is great, man. Um, you know, you, you, look, you look at a situation when I was 12 that, you know, you got, you got a kid losing his sight to me blind for the rest of his life and to see just the, uh, the beauty that God can create from that to just me out here on the field snapping, you know, what, eight years later is just, it's just amazing. And it's an awesome feeling, just something I've been working for and just get out there. It was, it was surreal, but at the same time, you know, I felt prepared, um, you know, pro uh, proper preparation, you know, so we, uh, I got my holder here and we've done this many times. So it was, it was exciting. It was, it was fun. And it's a moment that we're all going to remember let, for a long time. Let me time. ask Wyatt about it. So you lead him out on the field as you do all the time, you know, what was it like to lead him out? And then you guys get in position as we watch that kick again and make it happen. It was really cool. You know, I, right when he got called to go in, I didn't even worry about it because we've done it a million times and it's the same snap for Jake. So right, he was ready. He ran in there with me. I got his feet set, him lined up, and uh, Chase kicked it away. And uh, it was a perfect snap, and I'm really proud of Jake. And it just shows what you can do, and dreams do come true. He's worked for it so hard. So, Speaking of dreams, Jake, I mean, you've been uh, blind since you were 12 years old. There are lots of kids around the country and around the world who may be involved in football or other sports or not at all. What is it that you want from them to take away from what you did today, from high school to this big stage and actually being able to perform for the team? Right, you know, it's, it's, it's something I really want people to look at and just be inspired. You know, we, we live in a world and a society that, you know, it seems to want to tell people what they can and cannot do a lot of times. And so it's, it's I, I preach that, you know, it's, it's up to you. You know, it's the only thing that's going to stop you in life is you. And so I hope people can look at my snap and just realize that, you know, if you're blind, you don't have arms, whatever the case may be. You know, maybe you don't even have a physical ability and it's, it's something entirely different. But you have, are empowered to do what you want to do. Jake, you inspired us all today. Congratulations. Great job. All right. All right. Thank you. It's kind of a neat story, isn't it? Uh, at 12 years old, uh, this, uh, the head coach at the time of USC heard this story and uh, invited this kid to come and watch practice. At, his dream was to see the USC Trojans practice football. And the very next day, he would have surgery in which he knew he would be blind for the rest of his life. And so on the day before he had that surgery, he goes and he uh, watches the team and, he, and there's a connection between him and some of the coaches and the players. And so through the years, he stays in touch with uh, the team, going to practice every once in a while. And, stuff. and then he's admitted into the university, uh, obviously not uh, because of his athletic ability, but he's admitted in as a student. And again, he asks, can I just hang around the team? 
I just like being around the guys. And the coach says, sure, no problem. And the one thing he can do is he can do these snaps. There's not really any, so he just is off to the side. And the coach notices that, hey, you're, not, you're actually not bad at this. If we can agree to get the opposing team to not rush, uh, you know, not send a defender at you, uh, and the game's not in question, we're going to try to get you in a game. And sure enough, he had that opportunity. And I thought, that is kind of a cool analogy when we think about this series about being not a fan. Because I think a lot of times, some of us, we just kind of hang around because we like the company. You know, we don't actually ever envision being a, a really an important part of God's work on this world, but we, but we find something we can do, and so we just kind of hang around, and, uh, and hopefully we'll make a positive inf- impact in one way or another, but we don't really consider ourselves a crucial part of what God is doing. And I hope that as we go through this sermon this morning and as we go through this series that if those are kind of uh, preconceptions in your mind, we can kind of destroy those ideas. Because God is calling us not just to be on the sideline, to kind of be in the mix a little bit and be spectators for the most part, but God is calling us to actually be followers of Him that are engaged in the work that he is doing all around the world, engaged in the work that he is doing right around you. See, we are not called to be fans. We are called to be followers of Jesus. And so we're going to continue to come back to this question. Are you really a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you kind of on the sidelines as a spectator? Or are you actively engaged in the work of that God is doing in this world. And so this morning we're going to talk about the invitation. Our theme verse here is Luke 9:23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So there's that invitation. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's pray. Father God, as we wrestle with these verses and other verses this morning, we pray that you would speak to us. God, just calm our hearts and help us to hear from you. God, help us to receive the words that you would have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, this is kind of a theme verse for us, Luke 9.23. But this morning I'd like to back up a little bit and then go forward a little bit. Uh, to get uh, the context, and I think it helps us to continue to flesh this out, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So let me read these verses in context. This is Luke chapter 9. I'm going to start at verse 22. And he, being Jesus, said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So 
You know, even as I uh, prepare to, even as I give this sermon this morning, um, you know, that something happened to me this morning, and I, I kind of reacted in a moment of anger and frustration. I just, I just have that weighing heavy on my heart even now this morning. And, uh, and so I, I confess that to the Lord, but even as I read these verses, it just drives these truths into my heart that the foundation of this invitation is not who we are. It's not anything that we do. It's not because we are good enough. The foundation is that Jesus died on the cross and was raised after the third day. Like everything that we talk about, when we look at our own lives, like I've been going through this Not a Fan journal, and over and over again, things come to mind, and you examine your life and you realize that, yeah, it's one thing to talk about being accepted into God's family, into his kingdom, but it is not because we deserve it. It is because of the grace and the mercy of God. Like, that's what we see here in verse 22. uh, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. The reason he suffers is he suffers on our behalf. He goes to the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. That resurrection of life shows that he has victory over sin, death, and the devil. And all of these things that would stand as, as a in our way of being a follower of Jesus, are done away with through the work of Christ. In the journal, there was uh, one of the, in fact, this was day one, uh, week one, day one exercise. So if you've started this, you've done this exercise. Close your eyes and in your mind, picture Jesus. Watch him turn, look at you, look at you and hear him say, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I'll admit, some of these exercises kind of take you outside your comfort zone. You have to re- but you know what? I think that, at least for me, when I do these things, God begins to reveal things in me that I might not have recognized otherwise. I hear that invitation and I imagine, what would it have been like for Peter or John or, or one of these uh, disciples, Matthew, to hear the words of Jesus, come follow me, and I think, wow, that must have been really spectacular. Think there, man, Matthew must have been quite the fella that God would choose him. And then you go back and you read the Gospels and you realize Matthew was a tax collector. He was a real scoundrel. He was a nobody. Peter was a fisherman, basically a day laborer, nothing, nothing to offer Jesus. And you think, how is it that Jesus is ever going to offer me an invitation? And the reality sets in that he does offer us an invitation. There's nothing special about me, just as there was nothing special about Peter or James or John or any any number of the disciples, and yet Jesus offers his invitation to us just the same. And so I'd like to make three observations about Jesus' invitation. The first I'm touching on already is that the invitation is open. Anyone here in verse 23, when it talks, when he says, if anyone would come after me, anyone means everyone. Every one of us ought to hear the uh, voice of Jesus uh, in our hearts and be able to receive that as an invitation that is directed towards us, towards you personally. 
Now, if we back up, there's kind of some interesting cultural background that makes these verses come alive even more. When Jesus came, uh, went and said, come follow me, there was some background information here about Jesus, in a sense, extending an invitation like a rabbi would to someone who would come and uh, to live with him and to follow him. Rabbis were considered the real wise teachers during first century Judaism. And these were the men that w had the words of God, would teach the law, and teach people how to walk in the ways of God. And, th and they, had, they would invite students to come and to study under them. But they wouldn't just invite anyone. In fact, if you wanted to be a student under a rabbi, that was a really hard gig to get. The standards were off the charts. And so Jesus, uh, here he is, and he's being recognized in some ways as a greater teacher, a better rabbi than all of the other people around him. And so people are beginning to flock to him. It's hard to get in certain uh, it's hard to get into university in general, right? It's hard it's especially hard to get into some of these elite schools like your Harvard and your Princeton and your and your uh, Stanford or something. I mean, you got to have like you got to be 4.0 top of your class, off the chart SAT scores. I was just curious here and I tried to do some research. What were some of the qualifications to study under a rabbi. Well, you had to have impressive knowledge of Scripture. In fact, most people would be able to, that would be studying under a rabbi, could quote whole books of the Old Testament. And then they'd get, and in the interview process, they'd get these random questions. Like uh, one question I came up how many times is the name of the Lord used in Leviticus chapter 11? I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. And yet Jesus is beginning to gather people around him, and you know none of them are qualified to study under a normal rabbi. In fact, we're kind of given a picture of the type of people that Jesus has around him, and you keep waiting for him to say, okay, enough of you fellows. Now let me get my real good group here. But these are the people around Jesus. Before he gives a sermon on the mount, uh, we are given these words. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread throughout all S Syria. So in other words, he's uh, getting quite the reputation. And people brought to him all those who were ill with various diseases, suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. In other words, this is the group around Jesus as he begins to teach the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the cream of the crop, the best of the best. In fact, we have here some people that you would think are on the outside of society, those that are suffering severe pain, those that are spiritually a wreck, they're even demon-possessed, those that have been rejected all over the place. And even when we begin to look at the 12 disciples themselves, we realize this is, no, uh, this is no creme de la creme group. It's actually the tax collectors were considered the worst of the worst, not the best of the best, and that's who Matthew was. And yet listen to the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth as he begins to teach the Sermon on the Mount. Keep in mind, these are the people around him, and he says, Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, 
in your spirit, you realize you got nothing left. Don't you think this would resonate with those that are gathered around him? Blessed are you that have been broken down, beat up, that have nothing left. You're invited into my kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, who weep and grieve, who've been rejected and know they have nothing in life to offer, for you will be comforted. And the list goes on, and I think the, the same thing applies. In other words, Jesus is saying everyone is welcomed. You think you've been broken down, you're welcome to come. You've been messed up with sin, you're welcome to come. You've been rejected by everyone else. Jesus accepts you and welcomes you into his kingdom. Kyle Eidelman, who has written this series, Not a Fan, gives his own list in his book. He says, so who is invited to follow Jesus? Anyone. Sexual past? Anyone. Ex-con? Anyone. Current con? Anyone. Recently divorced? Anyone. Republican? Democrat? Anyone. Alcoholic? Anyone. Pothead? Anyone. Addict, anyone. Hypocrite, anyone. And that's a long list, but we could keep making the list longer. The point is, there is no excuse. All of us are invited to come and to follow Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So the invitation is open. But, it, but just because it's open, it doesn't mean that it's just generic and without real value. The invitation is meaningful. In other words, everyone has a unique part in God's game plan. God is in the business of glorifying himself and bringing salvation to the world. And God is calling us to be a part of that game plan, to be a part of that plan to bring glory to himself and salvation. A week ago, I sat down with uh, Darren Nakano, and, uh, and um, you know, I, Darren is type of guy, I asked him if I could share this, and he said it was okay. I mean, I look at Darren, and I think, this guy has actually lived a really hard life for being a young adult. Just as when he was a, when he was a, um, okay, I'm sorry, Darren. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when Darren was uh, just a, a boy, his dad got a disease they were never able to diagnose. His dad lived in a, basically a vegetable state for 10 years and then passed away a few years ago. And uh, his mom has been diagnosed with cancer and received one treatment after another. And nothing seems to have, nothing has helped. And, uh, and then you think of other family difficulties and difficulties in, with friends and stuff. And I asked Darren, Darren, how you doing? And he begins to uh, share with me how he's reading through the Bible and, he's, and it dawned on him that uh, uh, as he's reading the story of Moses, he said Moses really was able to ha have this, this interesting uh, right to be able to go right into the Pharaoh's palace, right? And because uh, he was, in a sense, he was Pharaoh's brother, not blood brother, but as a little baby, he was placed in this basket and he was adopted into the family and he was raised in the palace. And so he had murdered someone. He'd been on the run for 40 years and God calls him to go back to Egypt to deliver the people of Israel. And Darren says it dawned on him that he could actually go into the, and talk to the Pharaoh. Not anyone could have done that, but Moses is his brother. He had access to go and to do this that 
most people couldn't do. And Darren's sharing this with me and all of these things. I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of cool. And then all of a sudden, I couldn't help but interrupt him. And I said, Darren, do you see the parallels here? You've got access to do things that nobody else is going to have the ability to do. You're going to have the opportunity to sit down and to counsel people that I would have no idea what to say. You've experienced some things in life that would leave most of us without a clue. And yet God has a specific plan for you that is unique, that you're going to have access into people's lives that most people would have no clue how to minister to them. And that's the reality for all of us, whether we recognize it or not. But God has a meaningful plan for all of us, and it's because of his gifts that he's given us. It's because of the experiences that we've had. But God has a meaningful purpose for all of us to play. And it, is, and it is to glorify him and to bring his salvation to this world. You see, Moses uh, was, given this, was given this task, but even he didn't recognize it. Moses, Exodus chapter 3, Moses thought, I will go over there and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now jump down just a couple verses. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Isn't that oftentimes what we say? Who am I? What do I got to offer? Moses, you're the only one that can do it. And God's got things in your life that you're the only one that will be able to be effective in doing that. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Or I like the way the message translates it, because really this is a passage about God's gifts to us. He says, "But that doesn't mean that all of you sh- that, that, but that doesn't mean that you should all look and speak and act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. And isn't that the beautiful truth, that God's invitation is open to all of us and it is so meaningful because he longs to work in our lives in unique and special ways. Now that is, it's, it's meaningful and it's, and it's significant, but that does not mean that it's easy. In fact, the third observation I'd like to make is that the invitation is demanding. It's open, it's meaningful, and it's demanding. It requires sacrifice. Let's go back to our theme verse once more, uh, Luke 9, 23. If anyone sh- would come after me, he must deny himself. This is not an easy verse. Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And so we're talking about a, salva- a, a, a life of sacrifice. If we were to follow Jesus, it, it means that our lives will not be the same. We cannot simply go on living the same lives as we lived before and actually be a follower of Jesus. It will cost us something. And it may cost us something different today than it will tomorrow. It says we take up our cross daily. Over and over again, things uh, happen in our lives. As I was going through the journal, one of the questions uh, that, uh, one of the reflection questions, I, I wrote something that, might not sound profound to you, but it was kind of an interesting thing to me at the time. I said, this is a prayer. God, help me to, 
to trust that you really can take better care of my life than I can take care of my own life. You see, Jesus says that we are to give him our lives. We are to sacrifice it all. And the good news is that God is actually better at taking care of our lives, being in charge of our lives, than we can do ourselves. And so Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If we keep a tight grip on our lives, trying to control everything and say, this is the way that I want to live it. If we try to save our lives, we will actually lose it. But whoever loses his life for Jesus will save it. What good is it for the man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? This is a hard teaching. We're talking about sacrifice and, li- and giving our lives to him. It will cost us something. It may cost us our hopes or our dreams. It may cost us comforts and desires. It may even cost us money or time or whatever it might be. It may even cost us some relationships. But the good news is that in losing our lives for Jesus, we will actually find our lives. Many people will hear this and say, not me, that's too hard. In fact, many people in Jesus' day did the same thing on hearing this teaching Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? John 6 goes on to say, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked his twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, those are, that, those are beautiful truths that Peter uh, said right there. Where else are we going to go? We think that all of these other things offer life. It is, no, it is no loss to us to be able to give our lives to Christ and to receive his life in return. In fact, what Jesus said here in this, Matthew, in this Luke 9 passage is, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? You see, many of us live as false selves, so, so to speak. We are like dead men walking around. We think we got it all together and we think we got life uh, by the horns, but in reality, we have, we have not experienced the life that God has called us to live. And Jesus says that when we give our lives to him, we actually get our real selves. We actually receive the true self that God was, uh, created us to live that we are able to live the life that he has created us to live. And it is the best life possible because life in Christ fills our hearts with the things that we we may be longing for and we don't even realize, the things of joy and peace and love. This past week, uh, uh, I was thinking about something I had to do for, you know, Pastor Steve is coming and we're hoping that everything works out, you know, this not set in stone, but he and I are trying to work through uh, job description stuff. And, and so he said, there's something that I had in my job description that I wanted to do, and he said, uh, you know, I'd like to oversee that if, if I'm called to come and be community pastor at the church. And part of me sounds kind of ridiculous, but part of me is like, nah, I want to do that. That's, I really love doing that. And uh, a couple days later, uh, I wasn't even thinking about it, but the Lord brought this conversation up to my, in my mind again and said, you know what, release it and let Pastor Steve do it. 
You know, it sounds small, but to me, it was a point of sacrifice. And in that moment, all of a sudden, just had that sense of peace. That God was actually helping me to live into a greater life than I have, than I had presently had. To be able to offer all of these things to the Lord, whatever it be. Some things may be hard and some things may be even good, but he's calling you to give, our whole, to give it up to him and to realize that the invitation is open, it is meaningful, it is demanding, but I actually think it is worth it. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this passage together, it is a beautiful passage of receiving real life in you of being able to live lives of sacrifice and to realize that even though it is a life of sacrifice, it is actually for our good. Just as Jesus taught us while he was on earth, he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. And God, I pray that as we journey through this series on being not a fan, that you would continue to work in our hearts. Remind us of how much you love us. Remind us of the difficult calling that you have given us, that this is no easy thing. But God, help us, give us the strength, because even that is a gift of your Spirit. Give us the strength to be able to, uh, to sacrifice our lives, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow you. And God, in the midst of that, may, you set, may we have a sense in our hearts of your presence with us. Fill us with your peace as we seek to follow you every step on the way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.